Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, so Matt, when you die, what is the last body part on you to actually die? Hmm... Your toes. It's your pupils because they dilate. No. <laughs> I just gave you a regular answer, not even like a joke answer. Well, I, I, all of a sudden, I thought we were playing trivia. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're doing. Graveyard trivia. Good. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm I'm doing great. How good. about you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, our neighbors were mowing just a second ago. I think they've quit now, but just giving y'all a heads up in case you hear anything. Um, so, yeah. So, everybody around here has been mowing their grass at night because it's been so hot. Yep. Yep. It's, it's weird. I You know, most everybody's got headlights. You know, they could. Uh-huh. I saw somebody, saw somebody last night. Uh, I was coming through and I said, they're going to hate it when they get up in the morning and they look where they've been push mowing this yard <laughs> in the dark. Right. Right. <laughs> they're going to be like, oh my God. It's gonna, Man. It's, it's going to be like you tried to give yourself your own haircut. Yeah. You know, just, ah. With your eyes closed. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the Texas way, though. It, it gets so hot here that middle of the summer, if you're mowing, you got to do it early morning. Or late in the evening, otherwise you're dying. You know, yeah. it's like reverse hibernation. You go into hibernation in the middle of the day, so you don't have a heat stroke. Uh, real quick though, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to. Uh, we are part proud to be part of the Podbelly Network. Good group of podcasts there that you can go find on their website. So go over there and check them out at podbelly.com. We also want to thank tonight's sponsors, Lucy Nicotine, HelloFresh, and a new one, Raycon. So we will talk a little bit more about them later. While you're on the internet, surfing around, looking up things you probably shouldn't be before you clear your internet search history, um, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and you can sign up to become a patron if you are not yet and you can you, you know you can pick one five or ten dollar levels and you get different things for each level and for our ten dollar members you get an ad free video version of the episode every week 
And so you get to see Matt and I do our thing and make weird faces at each other when we mess up. And like I just did. Yep. And uh, I don't cut out as much on those episodes. So you do get to see us make mistakes or if we, hey, we got to take a break and let's look something up real quick. You get to see us do that. So if that <laughs> interests you um, to kind of see how how the sausage is made, then uh, go over there and check that out at $10. But for all the other levels, you do get at least one episode per week. Sometimes we do two as a bonus episode, and it's different topics. It's Sometimes it matches up with regular Graveyard Tales episodes, but other times it's just fun stuff that we want to talk about. And right. we've started doing quizzes here lately where one of us quizzes the other one on Do You Know? Um, we just did Origin of Phrases and origins of words and stuff like that. So it's fun if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Warning. This product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Look, we're all adults here. And some of us choose to use nicotine to relax or to focus or just unwind after a long day. Lucy Nicotine is a company that was created to help nicotine users find a cleaner option and feel better about the ways they consume nicotine. Now, if you've seen the videos of our show, you know that Adam and I both are nicotine users. We both vape, but there are times when it's just not a possibility. Right. You know, you're you're at work, um, you're on a plane. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're standing in line somewhere and you would, you would feel better if you could use, you know, nicotine. Right. And Lucy is an easy, clean way to use nicotine and, you know, not have to worry about people giving you a dirty look or anything like that. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah. It happens. Now, Lucy Slim pouches use the newest technology for synthesizing pure nicotine in the lab. None of the tobacco, all of the nicotine satisfaction. Lucy Slim pouches include both coconut oil and gum base to provide a soft, fluffy texture that enhances the flavor and doesn't dry out your mouth. That's right. And they come in three different strengths, four, eight, and 12 milligrams. And three exclusive delicious flavors, Spearmint, Mango, and Cool Cider. And Cool Cider happens to be my favorite. Uh, Matt, I know you like the Mango one quite a yeah. bit. Um, and, and the cool thing about these is, is, like Matt was saying, you know, you just pop one of these little slim pouches in and you don't have to worry about it. And I know a lot of people have the stigma about pouches where they're like, oh, well, I need a spit cup. Or No, you don't need a spit cup with the Lucy Nicotine. You just pop it into your mouth, stick it between your cheek and gum, and go. There, You don't have to spit. You don't have to do any of that gross, nasty stuff that you would with tobacco pouches. So it's great. And, you know, like Matt was saying, if you're in the store or something like that, we went furniture shopping the other weekend. And we went to Nebraska Furniture Mart. And I don't know if anybody knows how big that store is. But that is a huge store. And so I knew we were going to be in there for a while. So I brought the Slim Pouch with me. And sure enough, popped one in part of the way through. And 
me and my crowd anxiety, it helped out quite a bit. Um, so if you're on a shopping spree with your significant other and, and you feel the craving for nicotine, you don't have to stop and go out and have a smoke break or a vape break or anything like that with these Lucy nicotine pouches. Yeah, absolutely. So Graveyard Tells listeners can go to lucy.co and use promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, to get 20% off your first order of Lucy Slim Pouches or any other Lucy products. That's right. Graveyard Tales listeners just need to go to lucy.co, L-U-C-Y dot C-O, and use our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E, to get 20% off your order of Slim Pouches or any of their other products. Remember, that's lucy.co. Use our promo code GRAVE at checkout. Warning, this product contains non-tobacco nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So Matt, that's all I've got for the intro of this episode. Why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? It's slightly different. Yeah, slightly different. Where I don't I don't know that we've had a show quite like this. Um but we we talked about this topic and it interested both of us. We figured well, if it interests us, it probably will interest our uh listeners too. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- these kind of stories are always really intriguing to me. Um and it just seems like there's so many that come up when when you start looking into the history of war around the planet that there will be all these legends and tales of all kinds of stuff we've even heard ghost stories oh yeah yeah come out of the actual war not yeah. ghosts from that war people who reported seeing weird things or experiencing strange things during war. And ghosts so, and the, aliens and UFOs yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Cryptids. Yeah, so so it, it, it's always been fascinating to me, these, these legends that come out from wartime. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to go back to World War II, and we're going to talk about Yamashita's treasure or Yamashita's gold, as it's sometimes referred to. Uh, Yamashita was a Japanese general who was in charge of Japanese forces in the Philippines late during World War II. And it's possible that he may have hidden one of the largest, what what would you say, plunder, maybe? Looting? Yeah. Plunders uh, a good a good war, term for it. spoils of war <laughs> in history, uh, somewhere in the Philippines, and people have gone after it, and it's the whole. Some people don't even believe that it actually exists. Right. So you know when you when you throw that in on top of everything, my ears perk up. Oh wait, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's. A, there's a treasure that people have been hunting for, and it, it may not even be there. Right. Oh, I like this. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about some some history. Um, 
because it's it's crucial to understanding what has been done um, since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Adam's going to dig into this history, tell you this story about what uh, what happened, and then we're going to talk about some of the folks that have gone after it. Right. And I was telling Matt before the mics got hot that this is probably an episode where I had to do the most condensing of history because there's so many rabbit holes that you can go down with this history that we could have done a three-parter on this. And two of those parts is just the history of the episode. However, like Matt said, the history is crucial. I did my best to get it together in a cohesive manner where it's understandable and you get all the parts, but we're not overloading you too much. So as we say, go uh, check our sources down in the bottom of the show notes. If you want to finish, you know, expand on the research that we've done or, or to keep going or anything like that, go check our sources. And kind of a warning, the history is of the war. It's of World War II. And as we all know, World War II was brutal. Um, so I'm not going to go too like hardcore on the atrocities of war, but we will touch on them some. So just be aware of that. So during World War II, the Japanese army spent six years or more engaging in the biggest plunder in history. They were rampaging through China, Korea, Malaysia, and Indonesia, and they systematically stripped the countries of wealth that these countries had built up over thousands of years. So they would go through and just, I mean, plunder and pillage and and take these countries' treasures, all sorts of treasures that they had built up. It was the history of these countries, and they would take it. And the wealth was actually collected by a secret organization known as the Golden Lily. And we got to look at them real quick. But, you know, it's, it's one of those weird things with secret societies. There's information out there on it, but then there's not information that you think there would be because it was a secret society in a communist regime. Mm. So that information, even after the war, didn't come out like you would think it would. So it it was hard to get some of this information. Now, Operation Golden Lily uh, was between 1936 and 1942, approximately. um, And they were acting under the orders of of the Imperial House of Japan. It was a secret unit led by the younger brother of the emperor, Prince Chichibu. He was a military man and an Oxford scholar. So Prince Chichibu was a, a super smart guy. He, he knew the tactics of war and he was an Oxford scholar. Yeah, so this guy was smart. Sounds like a video game character. Yeah, it does. Um, and he's got a lot longer name. If you look him up, um, Chichibu is the shortened version of that, and it, it's the easiest way for my dumb southern tongue to say it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I heard him called Chichibu in in an interview, and I went, you know what? I'll, I'm going to go with Chichibu because that's easier for me yeah. to say. Yeah, and it sounds like a Pokemon. 
Right, right. <laughs> um, the Operation Golden Lily was commissioned to methodically pillage Southeast Asia. Now, this unit was called Kin no Yuri, or Golden Lily, and the Golden Lily would leave every country it pillaged penniless. They would take everything for the Japanese emperor of the time. They raided museums, art galleries, temples, rare books, and they were so thorough that they even targeted the black markets, and they would drain the black markets of everything they had of value. So they knew what they wanted. They knew where it was from the intel that they had, and they took it, and they didn't care how they got it. I know. I mean, that just, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And they just, I mean, it didn't matter. Um, priceless works of art, yep. religious artifacts. Yep. I mean, you name it. Yep. They, they would, took it. If, if you had any religious artifact or wealth in your church, in your, in your mosque or whatever, they'd come and take it. They didn't care. And they were brutal. When the Golden Lily came into town, they left and they left you destitute afterward. The quantity of the treasure that they amassed is said to be at least one trillion U.S. dollars. So, like I said, it, it's more than just gold and jewels. The treasure had everything. So, combined, it was it was one trillion dollars, maybe more, of gold, jewels, rare antiquities, religious artifacts, books. I mean, it was it was crazy. They even said they they speculate that there were top secret military plan. Yeah, most um, likely. Also, you know, you know, you can't even put a value on something like that now. Right. I mean, can can you imagine if you had original documents that were Japanese top secret war plans from World War Two? Can you imagine how valuable that would be right you know to to museums collectors what you name it i mean that hell to the japanese government yeah i mean just imagine and you know you can't even put a price tag on that stuff so i would estimate that the if if those things were also with this you know the, with this loot that you know, it it would it would way exceed a trillion dollars. Oh yeah, probably. Um, one trillion was the safe estimate that I heard, but since right. we we're not actually sure, um, they just kind of figured up everything that they possibly could have gotten a hold of. But then there's stuff in there that we have no idea that could be in there. Um, there's as you'll probably talk about, there's golden statues that are worth thousands, just the statue itself. Um, but like you were saying with the military documents, yeah, they're for historical purposes, they could bring a lot of money. But if you're talking even at the time when oh, they yeah. were doing it, if we now had top secret military documents of an enemy of ours, that would be worth a lot of money, just mm-hmm. current times. So even for them at the time, if they had top secret military documents from other militaries, 
mm-hmm. would be worth a ton of money too. Yep. Now, amassing the treasure was just part of the Golden Lily's mission. They also have to get the treasure back to Japan. So in order to do that, they first melted all the gold down into ingots and bars. Now, they melted it down because not only did it make it easier for transport, but it helped them kind of hide where the gold came from. Because when gold is manufactured, it's always stamped with some identification mark showing when it's made, where it's made, you know, the country of origin of this gold. So melting and, and carrot weight. Yes, exactly. Um, so melting it down erased all of those marks from this gold. And when they formed it back into ingots and bars, they were then able to add the Japanese mark on it. So it looks like it was gold made in Japan of Japanese origin. So it can't be if it were to be found or taken or anything. You couldn't say, hey, this is my gold that you stole from me. See the mark right here. They, they no, this is Japanese gold. See, it's got the Japanese mark. And so it was not only to make it easier to stack and, and carry back to Japan, but it, it was devious in that sense that now it's marked as their gold. You can't, you have no claim to it anymore. Now, the treasure itself as it was being amassed, was first taken to the Philippines and is inventoried. So it comes into the Philippines because it was in the, the, it was like the central hub of the Japanese empire at the time. So it was the most central point where they could bring all the gold into, and then they would inventory it, smelt it down, form it, and then pack it up into ships and send it from the Philippines over to Japan. And they had system going and, and this system was going well for several years up until June of 1942. Now in June of 1942 was when the Japanese and U S armies met near the Island of Midway. And during the, this battle between the U S and the Japanese, the Japanese lost control of the seas at this point Mm -hmm. because the U S killed thousands and thousands of Japanese soldiers. They sank several of the Japanese aircraft carriers and shot down many of their planes. So at this point, the tide of the war was turning for the Japanese. They were, they were losing control of this area and they, they no longer had control of this waterway in order to ship their gold from the Philippines back to their home base in Japan. So they couldn't risk doing that anymore because if, if they were to try to ship this gold back to Japan, the U.S. would more than likely either sink the ship or capture the ship and take all the gold. So they had to turn to their best general, Tomoyuki Yamashita. Now Yamashita is asked to come up with a plan for the treasure since it's now stuck in the Philippines and they can't move it. He is told to hide the gold till it's safe to move it again. So 
we got to look at Tomoyuki Yamashita for a minute so we can kind of understand why they chose him. Now, Yamashita, he's also called Yamashito Hoban, um, which is Tiger of Malaya. He was born November 8th, 1885 in Kochi, Japan. He died February 23rd, 1946 in Manila, Philippines, and, and we'll get to that. But he was a Japanese general known for his successful attacks on Malay and Singapore during World War II. After graduating from the Army Academy in 1905 and the Army War College in 1916, Yamashita was an officer for the Army General Staff Office. He rose rapidly through the ranks of the Imperial Army, eventually becoming the highest-ranking general of its Air Force. He was an able strategist, and he trained Japanese soldiers in the technique of jungle warfare and helped conceive the military plan for the Japanese invasion of the Thai and Malay peninsulas in 1941 and 1942. So the jungle warfare strategist will come into play big time later so keep that in mind but as we can already see th- this is a bad man he is he's not somebody you would want to tangle with he he knows what he's doing he's smart mm-hmm. and and he is he's a heck of a general now in the course of a 10 week campaign yamashita's 25th army overran all of melee and obtained the surrender of the huge british naval base at singapore on February 15th, 1942. So soon after Yamashita was retired by Prime Minister Tojo Hideki to an army training command in Manchuria, and he did not see active service again until after Tojo's fall in 1944 when he was sent to command the defense of the Philippines. Now, his forces were badly defeated in both the Leyte and Luzon campaigns, but he held out until after the general surrender was announced from Tokyo in August 1945. Yamashita was tried for war crimes, and though he denied knowing any of the atrocities committed under his command, he was convicted and eventually hanged. So that that will come into play later too, but that kind of gives you a brief rundown of Yamashita and why he was the man that they picked. So let's get back to the plans um, that Yamashita had to come up with to hide the treasure. So Yamashita decided to keep the treasure in the Philippines because it was safer than trying to move it. So it's there. He's going to keep what is left, mind you. This is what's left of the treasure that hasn't been shipped to Japan already. So he found 175 different sites to bury the gold until the Japanese took control of the area again and and could come back for it. So he chose spots that had very mountainous terrain with really thick jungle. And this was so that once the area was sealed, the jungle would take back over quickly and it would look like no one had been there. Because if you've ever seen the jungles in the Philippines, they they you know they're wild they got plants mm-hmm. everywhere and if you know anything about jungles the the flora takes over quickly mhm 
you can in a healthy ecosystem like the jungles, if you cut down some trees or vines or whatever, it will grow back pretty quickly. So his plan was to let's put this in a mountainous area where it's hard to get to. And then the jungle will cover it back up and people won't be able to tell that we were there. Pretty good plan. I I agree. I, I think that's that's probably the best plan that he could have come up with. And that's why they, they picked him. He was a strategist and he knew the jungle. Now, Yamashita actually ordered detailed maps of the areas um, that the gold was going to be buried. He wanted them to be really detailed and encoded so only a select few could actually read the maps. Now, they were encoded using an old Japanese dialect called Kunji. Now, it's a language that's between 1,500 and 2,000 years old. So you can imagine there's probably not many people left that can speak Kunji. Right. Now, the maps themselves had no topographical details on them at all. So the only way to know what the landmarks are is by reading the Kunji characters used to mark which landmark is which. So if you see a map, if you don't know what topographical details are, if you see a map, usually you'll see different color-coded regions, and depending on the color will depend on the height of the terrain. So you'll be able to tell by looking at a flat map, okay, this is this color. So that means it's a high peak, but this over here is a different color. So it's a valley. So you can kind of figure out your terrain by looking at the topography on this map. And sometimes they'll even have like rings with numbers. So the elevation of this mountain and you can you can tell by that. But they took all of that off and the maps are just a 2D line drawing. I'll put some pictures up in Patreon of these maps that they only have pictures of a couple, uh, but they're just line drawings and they have weird symbols that don't mean anything to anybody unless you know the language or what they were trying to encode it with. And that's it. So if you have one of these maps, if you don't know how to read this map, you're not going to be able to pick it out by looking at the topography of this thing and saying, oh, this looks like this hill over here because it's a hill with valleys on either side. They don't have that on there. But the symbols that they used and the words that they used actually denote which is which. So you've got to mm-hmm. be able to read Kunji to figure that out. Yeah. And you look at it. It looks cool. Um, you're not going to figure anything out from it. No. <laughs> I mean, you just not. Unless no. you're you're that rare person that has a degree in kunji. Right. Dead, dead, dead languages. Yeah, and that's the thing. And if you don't know the language, then the maps are completely useless. Mm-hmm. So that, again, a great plan on his part. Now, on top of the maps being encoded, they also put other security measures into the tunnels that they dug. So... They added booby traps to every one of the tunnels. They would put bombs and grenades in them with trip wires so that if you hit the trip wires, it would blow up. 
they had false doors in the tunnels. So if you were going through this tunnel, there would be a false door that you would think, okay, I need to go this way through it. But the real door was covered over in rock or mm-hmm. it just looked like a dead end. So it would force you to go through this false door into a room that was filled with booby traps. Mm-hmm. They used poisonous gas in some of these, and they, they actually figured out how to use the water table and groundwater. So if you didn't know anything about it, the water level could come up and drown you while you're trying to get to the treasure. So this is very Indiana Jones. Oh, like, yeah. That, that's what I kept thinking when I was reading this is the if these details are correct. Now, this is all what the story is. So if all these details are correct, then very Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones had to have gotten it from this. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I'm, right. I'm going to say that it was Indiana Jones was made based on these uh, Yamashita gold tunnels. You know, there's the big giant ball rolling down at you. Right. You know, right. That, that just seems to chase you throughout the tunnels. And, yep. you know, you got to, you know, the weighted uh, panels or, or foot plates you have to mm-hmm. stand on to make something and then something else happens and you get shot mm-hmm. by arrows. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can see that. It sounds like something out of a movie. Yeah, it does. It, it really does. Yep. And, you know, it, it, the poisonous gas and, and the use of the water table and everything is, is the part that kind of makes you feel that way because people have been using bomb booby traps for a long time. But yeah. the ingenious part is using the poisonous gas in the water. And if you, you might get yourself stuck in a part of one of these tunnels that You've made it past the bombs. You've made it past the attack pigeons that they put in there. And now you're to this to this false door and you open this false door and all of a sudden that releases groundwater and it drowns you. Yeah. It's just, it, it's wild. Now, the maps they made highlighted where each one of these booby traps actually were uh, and what they were. So if you had the map and could read it, then you'd be able to avoid them. But if you didn't, you probably wouldn't make it out of the tunnel alive. So, again, it would be really good to be able to read Kunji and have one of these maps if you're going to look for it. Now, to ensure that the locations of these tunnels didn't get leaked, they kept the people who knew about all of this information to a bare minimum. As they say, they played it really close to the vest. Mm -hmm. Now, they used either POWs, prisoners of war, during World War II to dig and construct the tunnels, or they used local slave labor. The people digging these tunnels, either the, the the slaves of the Japanese or the prisoners of war for the Japanese had no idea why they were digging these tunnels in the first place. But in the end, it didn't matter because when they were finished, Yamashita and his men would kill them. 
mm-hmm. to make sure they didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So if you got put on Yamashita detail, you weren't making it back from that. You you were that was your last mission for Yamashita. I'd be like, I ain't gonna dig crap. You're just gonna have to kill me now. Right. Because I I'd be doggone if I'm gonna die tired. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I tell you, I, I would I I mean it's hard to hard to say what you would do in that situation, yeah. but I feel like my contrary ass would say, I got a shovel. I'm gonna take a running start at this guy with my <laughs> shovel. And I mean, he's gonna kill me anyway. So at least maybe I can die flailing at him, maybe yeah. uselessly flailing at him, but I'll feel like I did something. But yeah, I mean, they, they 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 picked people that they already had control of, and then made them dig these elaborate tunnels, and then killed them. So they knew what what it was, but they didn't know for long. Now, in October of 1944, the Americans actually landed in the Philippines, and the fighting of World War II um, takes over the islands. And it said that. The the fighting on the Philippine Islands was the most brutal of World War II. Even though Yamashita was bearing the treasure, he still was leading troops against the Americans. But despite his prowess for battle, he couldn't stop the advance of the Americans because people have said that islands like the Philippines are really hard to defend. Mm-hmm. So Yamashita would have known that he he would know, look, I'm not going to be able to defend all of these hundreds of Philippine islands from the American force. So he he understood at that point that the treasure still wasn't safe and that the only thing he could do is drag out the fighting as long as possible so that it would buy him time to finish burying the gold. So he knew it's in the end, it's a lost cause. But if I can make this last longer, if I can make them work harder, then I, I buy myself and my men more time to bury this gold. Right. So just Which, all I got to he's thinking at this point, all I got to do is stall them. Yeah. Yep. Just just slow them down a little bit. Right. Because he's thinking in the end, it's more about the gold than keeping the Philippines. Yeah. Well, this says something about Yamashita. Because if you're the general, if you're the commander of Japanese forces in the Philippines, and the U.S. military is coming down on you hot and heavy, and you've got all this treasure, at what point does it cross your mind I'm going to make a deal. Yeah. You know, hey, you, you know, you, you take, you take all this gold, you know, you get rich, you let me get out of here. Yeah. You know, yeah. you let me get back to Japan. You let me do something. Now, you got to find the right person. Yep. You know, not everybody is going to be like, you know, I'm like, nope, you're bad dude. You know, we let you live. You're going to cause more problems. Right. You know, so we're going to we're going to take you and try you. Well, I mean, which is what happened. But 
at no point does Yamashita seem like uh, he's giving up. He's doing all this for his kind. He knows. He knows what's coming. Oh, yeah. He oh, knows yeah. he's not going to enjoy the the spoils of 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 his uh, his work, but he's right. going to do this for his country. Right. It's not at this point. It's not about him. So, yeah. I mean, he understands. Got to give him credit, man. He was a he was loyal loyal to his his country. He was. He he was loyal. He was ruthless, and he was smart. And again, that that's why they entrusted him with this mission. In April 1945, Yamashita is still trying to finish the tunnels. And he's, at this point, forced to retreat back to a mountain city called Baggio. And so he's up in the mountains in or around Baggio. And Baggio is actually where the Americans will end up defeating and capturing him, but We'll, we'll keep going. The systematic nature of the hiding of the gold is now kind of out the window. And and it's just like, well, screw it. We can't keep doing this systematic build a tunnel, put the gold in there, do the booby traps, all that stuff. It, it's it's now at a, at a fast and frenzied pace because the Japanese are about to be defeated and Yamashita has to get this gold hidden. He's got 174 tunnels finished, booby-trapped, and hidden. And he's got one left that he needs to finish. So he orders his chief engineers to finalize this last tunnel and seal it. Now, his engineers knew everything about all these tunnels. They knew where they were, what booby traps were used, how they worked, everything but what they didn't know was yamashita's final plan as the story goes he has the engineers finishing up this last tunnel finalizing the plans for everything he is actually on the outside of this tunnel and he seals it himself sealing the engineers into the tunnel with the treasure so all of the engineers are in there he blows dynamite at the exterior of the tunnel, sealing it off and sealing the engineers within. Yeah. yeah. So Taking now care of anybody that could tell where the tunnels were or mm-hmm. anybody that could read the maps or describe the booby traps. Exactly. Boom. And okay. Right. Thanks for right. playing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he, he left them in there to die. Yeah. Of starvation or, or the elements or or go crazy before whatever. So they're now, you know, as the story said, they they were to protect this gold forever is what the story says. And I'm sure that last tunnel is haunted as hell, if that's the case. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I would assume all of these tunnels are if he killed people after digging them. Yeah. I would assume all these tunnels are haunted. What? Okay, so that that brings up a question that I had in my head researching this is so 174 tunnels in had he just used the same crew over and over and been digging these tunnels one at a time and saved the last one to kill everybody because at some point somebody's going to go, "Hey, when you get done digging this tunnel, 
<laughs> yeah. Yep. This SOB is going to kill you. <laughs> yep. I honestly think he used, uh, it was several crews from my understanding. Like, he may have had one crew dig a couple tunnels. Yeah. And then he killed them. And the thing was, they were POWs and slaves. So he would just go get them and get them from any part of the Japanese empire at the time. So they wouldn't be able to say, hey, dude, you know, th- this yeah. guy's going to kill you because he'd just go grab some and say, hey, here, here's what you're doing now. You know, pull them out of some camp and whatever and say, here's what you're doing now. Yeah. But again, I'd be like, if you're just going to kill me, why am I going to dig? So yeah, no kidding. They, they had to not know. Yeah, I, I don't think any of them knew going into it that they were going to die after they finished the tunnel. Or or maybe it's one of those deals where, well, if I dig the tunnel, I, it can, I can devise a plan to not die. <laughs> well, that would be my dumbass trying to figure that out. Yeah, so and they're just I, digging away. What am I going to do? Yeah, I'm I'd be the this? guy plotting, and it wouldn't work out for me, but I, I would try. <laughs> All right, so let's take a second and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, if you don't know what HelloFresh is, HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service, and you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. You can skip trips to the grocery store, and you can count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, fall is busy. Oh, yeah. It's busier for us, Matt, with school and then the show. Fall is our busiest season with the show. I mean, it it really is. So the good thing about HelloFresh is that it can save you time that, you know, you'd otherwise spend on meal planning, shopping, and and chopping, and all this other stuff, so you can get back to what matters, either school for your kids and or we can get back to doing show stuff so we don't get too far behind and start pulling our hair out. Yeah, and you know, one of the big things that, that Amanda always tries to do is have something for supper on the nights that we record so that I'm not coming in and eating supper at 11 o'clock at night. Right. Okay, and HelloFresh makes that super easy because we already know what we're going to have. We already have everything we need to make it. And you can lay it out and knock it out. And, and the kids being able to help makes it that much easier. And plus, they have a great time doing it. And the meal is fantastic. That's right. Yeah. The fall harvest is officially on with HelloFresh. Count on seasonal recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls. Oh, those will be good. Oh, yeah. Friends giving ready sides as well as fresh, high-quality ingredients that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week and you get a better value HelloFresh is over 30% cheaper than shopping at a grocery store with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash so Graveyard Tales listeners can go to HelloFresh.com Graveyard14 and use our promo code Graveyard14 that's G-R-A-V-E Y-A-R-D-1-4 for up to 14 free meals 
including free shipping. That's amazing. So all you got to do to get that is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard14 and use our promo code Graveyard14, graveyard one four and get up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh is an America's number one meal kit. Now, three months after this, uh, World War II is over, and General Yamashita is actually put on trial. And like I said, he's found guilty of war crimes. So he's sentenced to death by hanging. So there is video out there of Yamashita at the trial. And, you know, it's 1940s quality video, so it's not that great. But you can tell by the look on his face, he knows what's happening and he's stone faced. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he's he's a bad mamma jamma. He, I yeah. mean, he is he's a old war general. I'll, I'll put it yeah. that way. He's he's hardened. Um, but with his death, he actually takes the secrets of the treasure to his grave. He didn't tell anybody before he died. And again, as the story goes, there's only one other person who knows about the tunnels, and that's Prince Chichibu. Now, the problem is, in 1953, Prince Chichibu dies of tuberculosis. So at this point, no one is left that knows where the gold is hidden. Mm. Everybody who's dug the tunnels, he's killed. All of his engineers, he's sealed in the last tunnel and killed. He's been killed, and Prince Chichibu, the brother of the emperor, has died of tuberculosis. So at this point, it seems like the gold and all of the treasures have been lost forever. Yeah, and, you know, after Yamashita's execution, stories of the treasure began to spread as surviving soldiers returned home. And with so many possible locations, the chances of discovering at least one stash was enough to really whet the appetite of treasure hunters. Sure. And you said the stories are the thing. That's that's the deal, is nobody knew where this was, but they all knew that the Japanese army was amassing this gold. Right. So when they went home, they were like, we had all this gold. Yamashita was supposed to take care of it. We don't know what happened to it, but it's out there somewhere. Yeah, and that's that's a. I'm glad you brought that up because this is a good time to kind of talk about what's what's fact and what's fiction with this. Um, so we, you know, we we know, um, about Yamashita's career. We know he was a real person. He was a Japanese general. We know where he where he was. We also know that it it's a fact that the Japanese were looting all of southeast asia Mm -hmm. that that happened it's not a maybe they or they it seems like no they they did it right we we know they did it and so so you know we know yamashita existed we know that the the treasure existed and based on the fact that all of those artifacts and all of that gold that was stolen hadn't just turned up 
you know, or at least somebody goes, yeah, look at this, you know, yep. Japan says, Hey, I know we just lost this war, but check out all this new stuff we got. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> we you lost know? the war, but I got stacks of gold bars back here. That's right. You know, this, this, this guy over here, he's got a shiny new gold gate, you know, around mm-hmm. his house, you know, right. <laughs> you know, you didn't see that. Okay. So. That's what that's what we know is is actual is is true. Okay. Right. Now, the fact all the story of how he did this, the tunnels and everything, that's up for speculation. Now, we 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 don't know because the people that did know they were all killed or or you know, in Yamashita's case, executed. Mhm. Okay, so the, the, you know that that that's something to keep in mind as you you think about the people that have that have gone after this treasure right you know there's a really good chance that it's not there mm-hmm. okay and you know what just traipsing off to the jungle to go look for this stuff it's not that's not simple i mean that's you know you're just not going to pack up and go hey we're, hey we're going to the philippines for a week and we're gonna hunt for treasure Mm-mm. yeah the jungle that, is dangerous oh okay? yeah i mean even you know, for experienced people it's that's exactly dangerous. right for people that know what they're doing stomping and digging around in the jungle not you know it's not an easy thing and it's certainly not a safe thing so there have been a number of accidental deaths and injuries and and financial losses that have plagued the people that have tried to go and and find this treasure. That's a common theme with treasure hunting. That's right. That's right. And and as I brought up before, how are they so sure that it's in the Philippines? You know, how are they sure the treasure, you know, it, it, it's it's there at all, you know, that, right. that, that right. any of this treasure or that it just it, it just didn't make it all to Japan or it was lost somewhere else. Now, and there's that's, there's been debate about that. Yep, that's the thing. I mean, these are all tales after the war. There's no real firsthand telling of this story. Yeah. So there could have been nothing left in the Philippines when the U.S. invaded. It could have all yeah. already made it to Japan. Right. That's exactly right. Um. So you know, as I said, there's there's been some debate. Uh, the Philippines National Historical Institute chairman uh, and historian Ambeth Ocampo, he said for the past 50 years, many people, both Filipinos and foreigners, have spent their time, money, and energy in search of Yamashita's elusive treasure. That's a quote. Now, Ocampo also said, quote, what makes me wonder is that for the past 50 years, despite all the treasure hunters, their maps, oral testimony, and sophisticated metal detectors, nobody has found a thing. Right. So he makes a good point. You know, with modern equipment, with all of these people trying to, to find it, if it was there, wouldn't they have found something? Uh, maybe. M- maybe. But again, we're we're talking about the, the mountainous... Um, we're talking about the the, the mountainous uh, jungles of the Philippines. 
Yep. Just okay. just search Philippine jungles and whatever <laughs> pictures you see, just imagine trying to search that for a, a hole in the mountains. Yeah. I know. It, uh, uh, yeah, maybe maybe you would have found something. Maybe not. It's I mean that, that's some serious looking. Yep. Now Ricardo Jose, history of uh, history professor from the University of the Philippines, he's questioned the theory that the treasure from mainland Southeast Asia was transported to the Philippines at all. Cuz he says and Adam brought this up earlier. By 1943, the Japanese were no longer in control of the seas. It yep. doesn't make sense to bring something that valuable to the Philippines when you know it's going to be lost to the Americans anyway. Mm-hmm. He says the more rational thing would have been to send it to Taiwan or to China. Um, yeah. And so, you know, as Adam mentioned, you know, they, they stopped transporting this treasure to Japan because the U.S. had pretty well decimated, you know, the bulk of their Navy. And so the, the ships had to go elsewhere. So they started going to the Philippines. That's the thought, because they were like, we're going to start shipping this to Yamashita in the Philippines and he's going to handle it. So mm-hmm. that's the thought process of the idea that that, that the treasure made it to the Philippines, you know, but Jose makes a good point. Why, why even try, Uh, you know, you, you've got it right here on the mainland. Why not just take it to a place you already occupy and, you know, hide it there. Right. Keep it there and keep it safe because you've got to transport it. That puts it in, in danger and then you got to hope that Yamashita can get it buried without being found so yeah yeah, I mean why transport it to one central location so a lot of people went after this treasure and came up empty handed but probably the most famous story uh, about this treasure or any part of it being found is that of Rogelio Roger Domingo Roxas. Now, Roxas was a former Filipino soldier who had worked as a locksmith before he allegedly discovered a cave north of Manila with a hidden chamber full of gold bars and a giant golden Buddha. Hmm. Now, the cave was on a plot of state-owned land near Baguio General Hospital in, ba- in Baguio on January 24th, 1971. Okay? Now, it says allegedly f- discovered because they, they had a really hard time um, showing that this was actually Yamashita's treasure or any part of it. Sure. You know, yeah. how he had gotten his hands on it, what was, what actually existed and what didn't. Um, so, but you know, he apparently found something. Now Roxas claimed that you could take the head of the Buddha statue off. And when you took it off, that it had a hollowed out portion inside that contained at least two handfuls of uncut diamonds. That's uh, just incredible. I know. 
I mean, and this is just a if very that's small true, part. that's incredible. And this is a very small part. So he, the the discover Roxas discovery story goes like this. Now, sometime in 1970, Roxas's group began digging on state lands near Baguio General Hospital. Now, after about seven months of searching and digging, 24 hours a day, as they say, the group broke into a system of tunnels. Now, inside the tunnels, this group found wiring, radios, bayonets, rifles, and a human skeleton wearing a Japanese army uniform. Hmm. Oh, what a giveaway. Yep, that would sound <laughs> like that uh, 175th tunnel. Yeah. Now, after several weeks of digging and exploring within the tunnels, Roxas's group found a 10-foot-thick concrete enclosure in the floor of the tunnel. Now, on January 24th, 1971, they broke through the enclosure, and inside, Roxas discovered the gold-colored Buddha statue, which he estimated to be about three feet in height. He said the statue was extremely heavy. It required 10 men to transport it to the surface using a chain block hoist, ropes, and rolling logs. Now, although he said he never weighed the statue, how the heck was he going to do that? Yeah, Uh, right. He estimated the weight to be one ton. That's a three-foot-tall statue weighing one ton. That's dense. Yeah. How'd he move it if it was one ton? No kidding. That'd be like dragging a car up there. And dragging a couple elephants. (laughs) It was full of mercury. That's how. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was packed with unobtainium, which is the densest. (laughs) So Roxas told his workers to transport the statue to his home and place it in a closet. All right. So the statue weighs a ton and he's going to put it in a closet and it's only three feet tall. Yeah. Okay. And it's got at least a, 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 a small hollowed out portion that was full of diamond. I don't know about you, but I, a couldn't get that into my closet and B, if I did, it would probably break through my floor. Yeah. Now I will say this because I had, I double checked in the research. It, it was, it was <laughs> T-O-N-N-E. So I had to do some Google foo and make sure that that was not a different amount of measure uh, than T-O-N. But according to what I found, and and y'all may correct me, um, it's the same. It's just a different spelling, you know, Mm -hmm. or approximately the same as it would, you know, it it would be metric. Um, Right. But either way. This thing was outrageously heavy. Yeah. So, and I, I'll put a picture in Patreon of him with the statue because yeah. I, I found a picture of him. So, yeah. So anyway, moving on. I I, I digressed. <laughs> um. Ro- Roxas also found a large pile of boxes underneath the concrete uh, enclosure. And he said it was about 50 feet from where the Buddha statue had been discovered. Now, he came back the next day and opened one of the small boxes. It contained 24 one-inch by two and one-half-inch bars of gold. 
one box contains 24 bars of gold. Now, Roxas said that he estimated that the boxes on average were about the size of a case of beer. And he says they were stacked uh, five or six feet high over an area six feet wide and 30 feet long. Good grief. That is is a lot of gold. That's a ton of gold. A T-O-N-N-E of gold. (laughs) Now, this, this is funny to me. Roxas said he didn't open any of the other boxes. I would have been so excited. I'd have been like a kid at Christmas. I'm opening every oh, one yeah. of these damn boxes. Yeah. You know, even if I'm not moving them, I'm opening that's, them. That's right. Of course, I, I, I'm not standing in a hole in the jungle either. Um, True. <laughs> but a few weeks later, Roxas returned to blast the tunnel closed, planning to sell the Buddha statue in order to obtain funds for an operation to remove the rest of the treasure. How can anybody buy a one-ton Buddha statue and get it back to their house? Yeah, what are you going to do? Put it on eBay? Yeah, right. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to have a a one-ton Buddha statue full of diamonds. You know, I mean, where where are you going to go to sell this? Right. Nonetheless... Throw up some red flags, won't it? It's 1970. I mean, heck, you know, somebody somebody would have bought it. Oh, yeah. Now, now, Roxas tried to do this the right way. You know, he was trying to contact Judge Marcos, but he was unsuccessful. Now, during the following weeks, he had sold seven of the gold bars and was looking for a buyer for the Buddha statue. Now, Roxas would testify that Kenneth Cheatham, the representative of one prospective buyer, drilled a small hole under the arm of the Buddha to test the metal. And the Don't test- trust anybody named Cheatham. That's right. <laughs> I actually just noticed that. <laughs> but old Cheatham found out that uh, according to his test, it was solid 22-karat gold. Wow. So Roxas also testified that a second prospective buyer, Luis Mendoza, also tested the metal using a nitric acid test and concluded that it was at least more than 20 carats. Yeah, wow. <laughs> now that's, it was That's incredible. If it's true, that's incredible. <laughs> now, it was soon after. Well, before I get into this, somebody was missing their big ass heavy Buddha statue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they didn't get a bunch of gold and decide, let's make a big heavy Buddha statue. No, they took that from somewhere. Yep, exactly. So I would, I would love to know, you know, where they got it. Who had right. this? In- <laughs> right. Yeah, because they... The story goes that they were melting it down into ingot and bars for easier transport. You would melt down a one-ton statue to make bars because it would be easier to transport instead of this right. sitting Buddha statue that would be hard to uh, get on a ship, something like that. It, I, I don't know. And if it's not part of the Yamashita horde, then... Wouldn't somebody come for 
forward and say, "Oh no, that that that's, that's mine." Buddha. My my yeah. daughter took our Buddha out mm. uh, on a play date in the park and lost it. That's ours. She put it in her wagon. That's yeah. how she was dragging it around town. Yeah, you know. somebody would have come forward. I I would think. Um, and but maybe just maybe. If this was one of the last tunnels that Yamashita did, he was in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And it may have been way too much to try. But it, he would have had to get this big, heavy thing to the jungle to hide it. Yep. But, you know, I mean, the it's lining up the quickly done. So it would have been just kind of thrown in the hole. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a body of a japanese soldier in there which would line up with sealing in the engineers mm-hmm. so that that seems to line up yeah. so far now it was soon after this roxas claimed that president ferdinand marcos learned of his discovery and had him arrested beaten and he took away his buddha good lord okay now roxas says that in reta- this was in, in in retaliation to his vocal campaign to reclaim the Buddha and the remainder of the treasure taken away from him. Ferdinand continued to have Roxas threatened, beaten, and eventually incarcerated for over a year. So once he was uh, released from prison, Roxas put his claims against Marcos on hold until he lost the presidency in 1986. But in 1988, Roxas and, and this group called the Golden Buddha Corporation, which was an Atlanta-based group dedicated to Roxas's claim of ownership, and they also now held the ownership rights to the treasure that Roxas claimed was stolen from him. Now, they filed, lawsuit, uh, filed a lawsuit against Ferdinand and Imelda Marcos in a Hawaiian state court seeking damages for the, for the theft and the surrounding human rights abuses that were committed against him. So, I would say that is so human took, rights abuses. You took my treasure, you beat me up, you threatened me, you imprisoned me. Okay? Yep. Mm-hmm. That was all crappy. Oh, Ferdinand, yeah. You know? So I want my treasure back, and I want you to pay for the awful things you did to me. Fair enough. Yep. I agree. And I'm going to go to Hawaii to do it. Hey, why not? (laughs) Safer than being there. But Roxas died on the eve of the trial. Oh. But prior to his death, he had given deposition testimony that would be later used as evidence. Now, the official cause of his death was tuberculosis. But according to news reports from the time, no autopsy was performed, and a lot of folks suspected some foul play. So that's what I was thinking. I was about to ask if there was uh, reports on how he died because it it seems a little suspicious. Well, sure. That right, right before the trial, he died of tuberculosis. Yeah, <laughs> how convenient. How do you fake mm-hmm. tuberculosis? <laughs> Yeah, you don't. You pay people off. Yeah, just he's got a bullet in his head. Tuberculosis. Yeah, right. I mean, you can write whatever you want to on the write whatever you want to on the autopsy paper. 
Now, I don't want to bore you guys with all the legal details. So to summarize, this lawsuit ultimately concluded that Roxas found a treasure, and although the Hawaiian State Court was not required to determine whether this particular treasure was a part of Yamashita's gold, the testimony relied the testimony the court relied on uh, in reaching its conclusion definitely pointed in that direction. Roxas was allegedly following a map from the son of a Japanese soldier. Roxas allegedly relied on tips provided from Yamashita's interpreter. And Roxas allegedly found samurai swords and the skeletons of dead Japanese soldiers in the treasure chamber. So all this led up to the United States Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal to summarize the allegations leading to Roxas's final judgment as follows. The Yamashita treasure was found by Roxas and stolen from Roxas by Marcos's men. So they determined that, yeah, this was, this was what he found. We think it was a part of Yamashita's gold. Ferdinand Marcos stole it from him, you know, and did some pretty mean stuff. Yep. So the court awarded Roxas estate and the Golden Buddha Corporation $22 billion. Whoa. Now, with interest, that ballooned to just over $40 billion. Holy moly. Now, a, a Marcos family attorney dismissed the award because he said, um, you know, it's monopoly money. You, you can't collect it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, he says, the entire estate from the Marcoses is tied up in the Philippine government. There's nothing there. There's nothing yeah. to get. I so, mean, again, that, that seems fishy. I mean, I, I get that you wouldn't be able to get the billions of dollars out of him, but it seems that fishy that all of his stuff is tied up where it can't be accessed. Yeah. It's either fishy or he's a, a super sly businessman. Yeah. And, and I, I, I didn't include dates on this, and I should have, but just to kind of give you a frame of reference, all of this has been going on for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last the last thing I read about anything court-related to this settlement, to this award, 2019. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, this is still going on. I mean, this is not something that, oh, that happened 30, 40 years ago. Still going on. Yeah. And you'll see Go ahead. articles out. You'll see articles out there that say Yamashita's gold found question mark and stuff like that. And that that's what they're talking about is the the court case that Matt's talking about. Yeah. If 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 you if if you peruse the the right news feeds, when this stuff happens, you'll see it. You know, it it because it crops up everything that we've discussed so far. You know, as far as this case, right? So that's I mean that's where it is now. I mean, and and a, apparently Roxas's son asked for the Buddha statue, and according to what I found, they sent him one, but it's fake. And yeah, the real yep. one is actually known to be sitting in the Philippines, you know, as, as like property of the court. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. And didn't the the one they sent him, they know it's fake because it the head didn't come off and there was no internal yeah, cavity. Yeah. Something like that. And you know, it just it it, it didn't it didn't weigh right. There was a yep. lot of things and wrong. The diamonds aren't diamonds aren't even in the original one anymore. Those magically disappeared. Yeah. Uncut diamonds, they're absolutely untraceable. Yep. So, you know, there's no no way you're getting those back. Somebody's right. somebody's wearing them and doesn't even realize it. Yeah, exactly. But still, this would only be considered a small portion of the overall treasure. And that's a fact that still uh, fuels the fire for a lot of treasure hunters today. Is 174 tunnels, and we're talking about one of them. Yep. Okay? And, and how much was in this one tunnel? And there's... 170 some odd more out there potentially yep so there's another theory about yamashita's gold and that's that the united states secretly seized it at the end of world war ii and yamashita one of the only men who have would have known for certain how much treasure there was and where it had been hidden was executed rather hastily and that's how they covered it up that they already mm-hmm. had it. So there was no chance for him to pass on that information or, you know, to, to rat them out and say, right. Hey, I buried this treasure right. and they found a bunch of it or, or whatever. So one captain, Edward Lansdale, who was a U.S. officer of the OSS, the office of strategic services, which was a predecessor of the CIA. Mm-hmm interrogated Yamashita's personal driver who revealed some of the locations to which he had driven the general during the Japanese occupation of the Philippines. And they had these secret vaults. Okay. So Lansdale apparently made a huge discovery. It was gold and a lot, and a lot of it. And there were precious stones, artwork, and and other treasures like we mentioned before, religious artifacts, things like that. And they just were considered to be fair game. You know, they right. they were is like, hey, look at this. It, where'd you find that new television? Eh, it fell off a truck. Yeah. Well, I mean, they <laughs> uh, that apparently happened in Germany during World War II as well. It did happen in Germany during World War II, and that's kind of how Jap- the Japanese got the idea. Yeah, is they um, they kind of followed the whole the whole German idea of of plundering and and snatching up anything that would be considered valuable, not just gold and jewels, but you know works of art. Adam said rare books, you know mm-hmm. any, anything that would have a, a, a significant value attached to it was fair game. Now, proponents of this theory suggest that the vaults were cleared out by the U.S. intelligence personnel in a top-secret operation over the next two years, and the treasure within was secretly deposited in hundreds of banks all over the world. Now, the gold allegedly was used to fund top-secret black operations conducted by the CIA over the next few decades and to influence various foreign governments over the course of the Cold War. Hmm. 
Now, Sterling Seagrave and his wife, Peggy Seagrave, have written two books about this. One is the, the Yamoto Dynasty, The Secret History of Japan's Imperial Family, and Gold Warriors, America's Secret Recovery of Yamashita's Gold. Now, uh, they came out in 2000 and 2003, respectively. Now, the Seagraves contend that Edward Lansdale and one Severino Garcia Diaz Santa Romana discovered the Golden Lily vaults uh, vaults in caves north of Manila. Remember where uh, Roxas was digging around? Mm-hmm. North of Manila. Now, Lansdale would brief General Douglas MacArthur on the find, and according to the books, more than 170 tunnels and caves were found, and these accounts were called black gold accounts, and they suggest that there were 42 different countries that they had these black gold accounts in you know, to hide this, uh, this money, you know, yeah. all, all the riches, all that, and, and actually convert it into something that could be spent. It's possible that both of these things are true. Yeah, absolutely. If, if the government found 170, let's say, there's still theoretically five more tunnels left, mm-hmm. and he could have found one of the five left and it was the last one hastily done. And that's why there was all that in there. So it's possible that both of these accounts are actually true. Yeah. There's a really good chance that they're both true. And again, that's what fuels the, the treasure hunters today is that regardless of the truth to Roxas's story or to the Seagraves theory, it still leaves treasure out there. Yep. It's not all accounted for. Right. So they have something to go look for. And even if, if you believe everything about Roxas's uh, cave that he found, one, one vault, um, one vault is all you need. Oh, yeah. Even heck, you don't even need all of it. You just need some of it. Just and, pocket some of it and get get out and you're almost instantly one of the richest people in the world yep okay you know even if you've got a big team of people hunting for it you're still all rich mm-hmm. all right adam let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors a new sponsor to the show raycon now, we're all getting back into a normal routine, or at least we're trying. And no matter how you feel about getting back out there, there's no denying that it's going to be an adjustment. Mm-hmm. So when the world gets just too loud, something I love to do is kick back, listen to my music, and pop in my Raycon wireless earbuds. Oh, I know, man. I um, I love Raycons. I've had Raycons for years, even before we got them as a sponsor. So this is a, a awesome thing for me because I love my Raycons. I use them all the time. They're always in my head. 
and whether I'm doing work around the house or I'm working in the shop doing like woodworking projects, I'll put them in to drown out the sound of the saws and stuff like that or going to the gym. That's the the best thing right there is popping in your Acons. You've got no wires hanging down around your neck. You don't have these cans like we've got on now um, for going to the gym, which would get irritating. And they don't fall out because they're one of the best ways to listen. They come with a bunch of gel tips that you can change and pop in. And unlike some other brands, which we, we're not going to name, that we've all used, they don't stick out of your ears. And they have a 32-hour battery life, so you can listen to whatever you want, when you want, for a really long time. And that's great. I mean, it's one of the selling features for me was how long the battery will last. Yeah, and they start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. Probably better. Yeah, and Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. So, you really can't lose here. Give them a try, and you'll see what we mean. To create your own soundtrack with Raycon right now, our listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash tails. That's buy. B-U-Y, Raycon, R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Tails, T-A-L-E-S, to save 15% on Raycon. That's right. Graveyard Tales listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Tails. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash T-A-L-E-S to get 15% off Raycons. Buyraycon.com slash tails. So that's what drives people to continue to look just like they do in uh, the History Channel series, The Lost Gold of World War II. Yep. Now, in the series... Treasure hunter John Casey and his team search for Yamashita's treasure, but as they go along, you know, the mystery gets stranger and stranger, and they find one obstacle after another, you know, searching for this stolen treasure. Mm -hmm. Now, it's television. Sure. (laughs) And there's two seasons. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. I've watched the show. It's cool. I mean, it's fun. Um, it's very interesting. If you're a history buff, it is fantastic. There's a, yep. a lot of history. There's a lot of talk about artifacts. I mean, it is great. But it reminds me of the Oak Island thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the, the Japanese version of Oak Island. Yeah. I mean, if I if they find it, yay. All right, another show. Yep. So they hadn't found anything yet. They just keep finding problems. But they 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 find a lot of the things, especially tunnels um, with with concrete caps, you know, buried. So those kind of things are consistent with Roxas's story and the story behind how 
these tunnels were constructed. So when you start to find actual physical evidence that the story you're following uh, has within it, you you begin to say, here it is. This is not just a legend. This is fact. You know, oh, this yeah. really happened. And and so that's that's how the show goes. They, they you know they find things like that. They find links to the story. Um, they find things that they they weren't for sure were true, and they they figure out yeah they are true. So it it does really paint a picture that the treasure is there. You know they just hadn't found it yet. Plus you, you got to know they're still dealing with if even if they do find a you know a a. a a tunnel that has something in it, you still have to be concerned about booby traps. I mean, mm-hmm. explosives and stuff. So you can't just go digging down in these caves and be like, look, Hey, we found it. You know, yep. there's a process that has to, has to be taken. And, you know, Casey has to get the, you know, why I say Casey, the, the history channel has to get hmm. permission, you know, not just from the Filipino government, but from, landowners and so forth to actually go and poke around and take this heavy machinery out there and all this equipment to hunt for this stuff. So it's, it's not an easy task, but it makes for good television. Um, and I'm not saying anything is made up, but it is very, it's very, uh, dramatized. Is that the word? Is it dramatic? Dramatized. Okay. Dramatized. Where did I come up with dramatized? What a weird word. Southern Dictionary. I do it too. It's me. I make up my. <laughs> I have my own language, y'all. I need to write a yep. book, and then y'all can learn how to understand what Matt is talking about. <laughs> but it's. I mean, you know, it, it's it's really cool to me. I, I'd love to believe that this any of this treasure is there. Oh yeah, um, and that someday. But I may. I did the same with Oak Island. I mean, I bought mm-hmm. into it, hook, line, and sinker. I was like, oh yeah, they're gonna find it. They're gonna find it. They're gonna find it. And, you know, still. I still think there's something on Oak Island. As much as what they, it is, I don't know. As much as they've dug up Oak Island, it's got to be like a Swiss cheese island now. True. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it's that there was something on Oak Island, and somebody found it years ago, and didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, they didn't say anything, and now you've got just people going out there blowing blowing things up and. I mean, that that could be just like the Yamashita's gold thing. Yeah. The U.S. government maybe found it, and they took it, and they're not going to say anything, so you got people going out there for it. Yeah. Oak Island could be the same way. The Canadian government may have found it and just didn't tell anybody. Yeah, and a lot of Filipino historians will will say that because of the because of the way the country is, I mean, it's it's made up of thousands of islands and mm-hmm. and only what like only about 2000 of them are actually populated it leaves a lot of yep. unpopulated islands that make up the philippines so there's a lot of potential there um to go hunting around and and for treasure to be never found um but the, the, because of that these historians say there's always been a treasure in the Philippines. Yeah. Always. These stories have always existed. They just change a little bit. You know, a hundred, a hundred years ago or, or 200 years ago, they're talking about pirate treasure. 
Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, after you know they're they're talking about uh from a Filipino American War. They're talking about um you know, barrels of silver coins. You know, somewhere yep. you know in the islands. Now it's you know after World War II, it's Yamashita's treasure. And I honestly would not be surprised if all of it were true with as many islands, with as and as few as are inhabited. What if there are a bunch of different treasures out in the Philippines from different centuries? You've got, you know, there is pirate treasure out there. There's treasure out there from before that. There's Yamashita's treasure. There's a bunch of different pockets. I mean, that could be the the hoard for most of the world's treasures in the Philippines, and we just don't know about That's it. That's true. I mean, it, you know, and all of them are, you know, they're legends, but they're all legit. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. there were pirates in that in the uh, in the Pacific, and you know that would that would have been that would have been a, a logical location. Yep. I mean, uh, an uninhabited part of the Philippines, sure. You know, it, it makes sense. Um, you know, the fact that there would be, you know, spoils that were hidden from previous wars, it, it uh-huh. makes sense. So, I don't know. I mean, you know, there. You're right. I, I agree. There, there could be all kinds of treasure all over yep. the Philippines, and it's just again we talk. You know, islands, multiple islands. Um jungle mountains it's it's not the easiest place to go look you know no you're you're, you're if not, you're in you're the not philippines wandering in a desert looking for an axe on the ground yeah, and right. start digging <laughs> right if you're in the philippines and hearing this and you decide to go out looking for this treasure please keep sending us correspondence yeah let we, us know we want to we want to know what's happening and don't get hurt <laughs> yeah no kidding and ask permission because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a surefire way to get hurt Oh, yeah. But uh, what do you guys think? I mean, you know, I'm going to ask you what you think about two things. One, do you think Yamashita's gold is is in the Philippines? Do you think it's real? Do you think that uh, Japan got the majority of it and and used it? Um, Did the U.S. get it? You know, did we take it? Did we take it away and uh, and and fuel our efforts in, uh, in the Cold War? You know, maybe I think one explanation is as good as another, but I just want to know what you guys sure. think. The other thing is, let us know what you think about this style show. Um, yep. You know, this is not a typical graveyard tales topic. Um, but in a way, it is though. In, in it, a way, it is. But um, but this is this is more hi- historical. It it's it, it's mysterious. So that's how Adam and I, you know, came up with the idea to to do this um but it branches out to you know a topic that you know and, and a and a genre of topics that we haven't really hit on that hard so you know what do you think if, if you like this this uh is a good palate cleanser from listening to ghosts and and cryptids and so forth uh let us know and and we'll we'll look into doing more shows like this one um but while you're over there letting us know and uh you can surf around the web and get to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. 
And on our website, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And Adam mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, going to patreon.com slash Graveyard Tales, uh, where you can sign up and support the show and get some uh, exclusive content that's not available to everyone else. Um, so you can get some cool content, you know, some swag. And uh, you can be the envy of all your friends. And you can support the show at the same time. You know, it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but to uh, but to let us know about your thoughts uh, about the show, about Yamashita's Gold, or any other past things we've talked about, the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. So just you can go on Facebook, search Graveyard Tales, and uh, that's where you'll find us. It's a pretty big group with, full of amazing folks. Uh, you've seen something, something new and unique every day. Um, oh yeah. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search graveyard tales and don't forget to go and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that helps us come up the charts, which makes it easier for, uh, people to find us and join the graveyard. So this, it's been a pretty, uh, pretty long show here, Adam. <laughs> yep. I enjoyed it though. I I, I enjoyed our time here. I do too. I do too. Uh, so until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Insure in blah, 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 blah.